Good morning, church. It's good to be here today. Um, Let's uh, lift up our voices in prayer once again. Um, Father God, we ask that your word would be a light that guides us. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we are excited to get into it right now. Lord, let your Holy Spirit be among us as we uh, read it with wisdom and use it with discernment. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, we are working through a Thanksgiving series, a Thanksgiving series of uh, on the theme of Thanksgiving in our scripture, and also because the Thanksgiving holiday that we celebrate is coming up pretty fast, and so we have two more Sundays of that. Last week, we begin to trace the journey of the pilgrims coming to America, and um, we would be hard-pressed to find anything in the pilgrim story that they should be thankful for. Of all the things that we read, their struggles, their difficulty, well, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot that they would be thankful for. Now, we don't know exactly what was going through the pilgrims' minds, what they were thinking how they were feeling, but we get a pretty good idea because a few of them kept journals. And one of the pilgrims even wrote a book about it, about their lives and the things that they dealt with when they were coming to America. His name was William Bradford, and the book that he wrote is called Of Plymouth Plantation. Of Plymouth Plantation. And I encourage you to read that book if you want to learn more about these uh, pilgrims. Uh, There are some modern documentaries that you can watch on YouTube and on uh, PBS and and shows like that, Uh, but they tend to add some of their own opinions and views. One documentary that I watched labeled the pilgrims as religious fanatics, as extremists. Now, I'm not saying that the pilgrims were model Christians, but we know from their actions and their journals that they strived to put God first. And that's why they left England. They wanted to have a direct relationship with God, not controlled or directed by the Protestant State Church of England. They wanted to be able to worship God on his terms, not the King of England's terms. And I suppose that you probably feel the same. You want to put God first, and you want to worship him according to his terms that we read out of the scripture. You want to worship him at home. And when you're traveling on the road, you want to be able to worship Him. You want to worship Him when you're meeting with a few friends or when we're all together as a large group. The pilgrims seem to have sought God with every decision that they made. They dearly wanted His approval. And everything that happened... They searched for God's hand in it. Why did God allow this to happen? Why did this take place on this day? They would ask God. 
Now, I wonder, could you be labeled as a fanatic? Now, the pilgrims, they left England and they went to Holland first. And oh, it, it was fine. You know, as time goes on, the uh, definition of words tends to kind of change. In the 1950s or so, uh, fine was a good word. It meant that something was great. When you watch shows like Andy Griffith and, and uh, Barney asks Andy, uh, how was your dinner date with Helen? He would say, oh, fine. And it meant that that was really good. He had a, a really good date with his, his girlfriend. Um, have you ever petted a mole? That's kind of a weird question. But. Uh, so the little critter that comes up out of the ground, and I don't know why God made them this way, but their fur is so soft, so fine, so smooth that you can't even tell that you're touching it. It's so smooth, and I don't, I don't encourage you to go catch one of the critters because they can be quite aggressive, but man, the fur is so fine. Have you ever heard the, uh, the, the, the term or heard somebody reply to you when you ask how they are doing and they'll say, fine as frog hair? You know how fine a, the hair on a frog is? You can't see it. It's that fine. It you know, used to mean something that was really good. But I'm not talking about that kind of fine. I'm talking about the kind of fine, as far as the pilgrims thought Holland was, the kind of fine that when you ask your spouse when they get home from work, hey, how was your day at work, or how are you doing? And they say, fine. And you know something ain't right. Something's gone wrong, and it was probably something you did this morning before they went to work. It is not good. And this is the kind of fine that Holland was for the pilgrims. They had religious freedom there. Oh, they could worship God. They could meet together. But there were distractions everywhere. Immoral living surrounded them. They had to work every day of the week, all day long. And even their children at age 10 had to work with them those long hours and endless days. Distractions. Folks, don't settle for just fine in your living your life for the Lord. By the way, uh, speaking of settling, being content and being fine are not the same. The Bible tells us to be content, but that doesn't mean that you can use contentment as an excuse when God is urging you to do something. We are to be content with what we have in this world. Paul speaks of it uh, many times in the Scriptures. It talks about us being content with what we have and being okay with the amount that God has entrusted us with, but we can't use it as an excuse. We can't say that that is being fine. When God calls us to do something that will impact our or others' eternal destination, 
We can't settle for just fine. We have to move with the Lord. Could you be labeled as a fanatic? Would you do something drastic to follow the Lord? Something like cross an ocean to get to an unfamiliar place so that you can raise your children in the full light of Jesus? If worshiping God the way He wants us to and involving Him in every decision we make means that we are fanatics, then, well, call me a fanatic. I want to be able to have a relationship with the Lord that is not controlled by a government or another person. And if that's being a fanatic, then label me. I don't care. And so the the pilgrims, they did not settle for fine. After a few years, they sailed on to America. They left Holland, even though they had religious freedom there. And the journey crossing the sea, oh, it was rough. But finally, they got to America. And well, it didn't get much easier. And if we take hope out of the picture then it would seem that they didn't accomplish anything. Hope is one of my favorite words. Uh, Not longer, this past uh, couple months, uh, several months ago, when the men on fire were hiking a mountain, we were talking about endless, sometimes meaningless things, sometimes really good things, and and somehow we got on different languages, and uh, the guys were talking, do you know this language? Yeah, yeah." and so when I stayed in Korea, when I uh, lived there for a little less than a year, or, or some amount of time, um, I had to learn the language so that I could survive appropriately. And uh, I didn't know it super well, but I, 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 could, uh, I could learn it. And so the guys were like, you know Korean? I was like, yeah. And they are like, tell me what grass means. And I'm like, oh, I, I forgot. How do you say tree? Hmm, I can't re- And you know what, to be honest, I don't remember very many words at all in Korean. It's been like, 20 years now, I just can't remember. I don't use them. But one word I remember that will stick with me probably for the rest of my life is hope. The word for hope in South Korean is somong. And the reason that I remember that is because one of the terms for Jesus that I remember, one of the preachers or missionaries in there that I was working with in South Korea used for Jesus was somong jengi. It was a person of hope. The man of hope is Jesus. Folks, don't forget that hope is a very, very extremely important part of our Christian faith, of walking with God. Don't forget hope. And so if we take hope out of the picture of the pilgrims, then when they arrived in America it didn't seem that they accomplished anything. It would be like, like when you hang the old carrot in front of the donkey to get him to go, and it's sad for the donkey because he's never going to get the carrot. Endlessly, because he sees that, and he's like, I'm going to get that. And he walks and walks, and you get him to do whatever you want because he's following that carrot, and 
man, it just seems like the pilgrims um, are after this carrot. They, they go to Holland and they don't get what they exactly need. And then after that, get to America. And then there's so many struggles in America and, and the carrot's still hanging in front of them. It could be discouraging. But the pilgrims, they expect hard times. They know it's going to take work. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 says, Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. It's going to happen. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There is hope. And this is the hope that the pilgrims had. And there's hope that we should have. Jesus overcame the world. And it doesn't matter what happens on this world if we are following Jesus, because He has already overcame it. When the pilgrims landed, things were rough. We think on Thanksgiving Day, if the turkey gets burnt, it's bad. The stuffing, if it has way too much of that flavor, I don't even know what it is, celery flavor? Stuffing has that, what is it? Sage flavor? If it has too strong, maybe you like that, but I like stuffing that's mild. If it has too much of that flavor, then, you know, it's it's like, oh, I look forward to stuffing all year long, and now it's too strong. Man, we think... uh, hard times. But man, that's not bad. The pilgrims, they were sick. They were sick. Now the thought of Thanksgiving often brings to mind being sick in my house. And uh, it's because the kids would... uh, and maybe me too, would eat so much on Thanksgiving Day because when you don't have much self-control and there's a bunch of food sitting in front of you, you eat and eat and eat. And and after you ate so much, then there's dessert that my mom made, apple pie, and you eat some more. And then, well, um, later on that night, the results are not so good. The food is not good the second time that it comes into your mouth. It's better the first time Um, and I don't know what was worse uh, the kids um, having to experience that sick feeling or Jess and I having to clean up after them speaking of uh, food in excess uh, here's a fun Thanksgiving fact for the week Thanksgiving is the reason for TV dinners. In 1953, Swanson mistakenly ordered so much extra turkey, uh, 260 tons, by the way, 260 tons extra turkey they ordered. Uh, They ordered so much that one of the salesmen told them that they should package it into aluminum trays with other sides like sweet potatoes and uh, sell it that way. And the first TV dinner was born. Fun fact. In my house, I'm embarrassed to say that we would get sick from eating too much. It was different for the pilgrims. Folks got bad sick. 
they landed in America and got sick and a lot of them died. Had to have been horrible. You know, Christians have a strong history of not fearing sickness, though. Christians use it as an opportunity to increase the kingdom, to grow faith, and to grow character. And we can do that because we have hope. Romans chapter 8. Verse 24 and 25 says, We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. This hope. And hey, if you already have it, you don't need to hope for it. If, if we were to get the carrot that is hanging in front of us, if we were to get it and be able to eat it 100% and enjoy all of it here on earth, then there would be no need for a Savior. But ever since sin entered the world, things were not perfect. There is sickness and there is death. And we need a Savior Jesus to overcome this world so that we can have control, so we can have the carrot when we get to heaven. If the donkey gets the carrot, he's going to stop trying. Folks, don't stop living for Jesus. Be confident in your hope for heaven. Romans 15, 13 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him and then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? Joy and peace by trusting in Him, overflowing with confident hope because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, there is no reason to fear sickness. No reason to fear death. Hey, and let that be a warning to our enemy. We have no reason to fear sickness or death because our Savior has overcome this world. Satan, he might be the prince of this world, but that doesn't matter because Jesus has overcame it. I think about uh, the, uh, the herds of sheep, you know, that are in the fields and, and you often keep a, a sheepdog there. And I, I love the image of a sheepdog taking care of, of the sheep and, and the, the wolves, you know, the enemy of sheep. Um, they just would love to have a delicious sheep for supper. And so they sneak up on the, uh, on the flock I mean, even if they're together. Uh, but you know, what a, you know what a dog does to mark its territory? So big sheepdogs, these sheepdogs, they're tough, man. They're big, and they got long hair, so they can stay out in the field all the time. They don't need any shelter. They've taken care of themselves so that they can take care of the flock. Because these are big, tough dogs, and they're living out there constantly with the sheep, and, and, and the wolves, they come up and... and uh, 
they can tell where the sheepdog has marked his territory because he's set it all the way around the perimeter of that flock. And the, the wolf smells that and says, you know, there is something big on the inside there. We try to get that sheep, and that sheepdog's after us. And maybe they think, well, well there's uh, four or five of us wolves, and there's, there's probably a couple dogs. You know, maybe we can get the dog and then get some sheep, but at least a couple of them are probably going to die. So they decide, maybe we better not mess with this flock of sheep. Better not mess with this sheepdog. <laughs> Listen, guys, uh, having hope in Jesus, that hope is what gives us confidence. Jesus did not fear death. Let the enemy, which by the way, is not flesh and blood. It is the devil. Let the enemy smell Jesus on and around you. Make the enemy flee from your presence because of the hope that you have in Jesus. He won't come near you if your faith in Jesus is strong as the hope that He wants you to have in Him. I pray that your life is driven by this hope. And if you're struggling with hope, I want to remind you of Gideon. Remember Gideon of the Old Testament? What a fella. Man, the Israelites, uh, the Scripture says in Judges chapter 6, that uh, the Israelites had failed to do good they had done evil in the lord's eyes and they worshiped idols and did these uh, bad things and so the lord uh, pulled back from protecting israel from the midianites seven years midianites were bad and midianites were the wolves so they come in and uh, the midianites are defeating the Israelites, the Israel had to hide in the mountains. The scripture says uh, they were hiding in caves, in places they're just holding up because there's nothing else they could do except retreat. The Midianites took all the animals, took all their food, all their houses, and Israel was starving. And then they cried out to the Lord for help. Judges chapter 6 Verse 11, then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath a great tree at Orpha, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abizer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, this is when Gideon should have manned up and, you know, said, well, this is hope right here. He has called me mighty hero, and he has said that the Lord is with you. He should have stood strong and said, okay, there is hope. We'll be all right, but he didn't. He didn't. He, he talked back and, and Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt 
But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us unto the hand of Midian. Oh, oh Gideon. Mighty man of valor, Mr. Hero that we learn about in Sunday school. Where is your courageous hope at this point? If, if, if Gideon, the mighty man, can falter in hope at some times, then I guarantee you I can. I think all of us can relate. There are times when we struggle to know what hope is, let alone hold it in our hearts and drive our lives with hope. Sometimes we need a little encouragement. Something, something to remind us that we are to be confident in our hope. Confident. Verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go with strength, the strength you have, and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. I am sending you. And... If we go to the end of the, the story, well, first uh, Gideon struggles a little bit more. But when he finally does what God says, guess what? He defeats the Midianites. God weans him down to 300 men against thousands of the wolves. And he overcomes them through God's power. That's the kind of hope that Gideon learned to have in the Lord. And hey, I'll bet that God has told you to do something. I bet there's something in your life that the Lord has said, hey, I'd like you to do this. This is what I want you to do tomorrow. This is what I want you to do in the next 10 years. I'll bet you that he's had something on your mind. What is it? And have you taken a step of faith and used the strength that you have to do what the Lord asks? Jesus did what God asked. He gave His life. He gave His life for you and your sin. And He took it back up again for your eternity in heaven, that should give you the hope that you need to do what might seem impossible in the moment. Don't forget that the hope that Jesus provides lasts forever. Jesus is the person of hope and He lasts forever and His kingdom lasts forever. Faith, hope, and love. Hope. Don't forget that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So when you, when you cannot see the trajectory of your life, when you cannot see the hope that Jesus wants you to have, Remember, it's faith that will show you the reality of it, and it is the evidence of things that we don't yet know. Now, let me pray for you today. Father God, we're so grateful that uh, we have your word to study.
We're so grateful that you gave your life. And Lord, that you came back to life so that we have eternity in heaven and that could be the thing that we put our hope in. God, your sacrifice, your salvation for us. Lord, we are so thankful for that. In this time that we're having thanksgiving on our minds, we thank you for what truly matters. That we can be saved through you. Put our faith in that, Jesus. Our hope in that. Amen.